Welcome to the Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. We are a Bible-believing church located in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. We are proudly part of the Christian Fellowship Ministries with 3,000 churches around the world. We are a church focused on world evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Here we will share recent sermons from PHSA Church and other sermons from throughout our fellowship. I am Pastor David Bickford, and I will be your host for this podcast. I thank you for listening today, and we hope these messages are a blessing to you and bring you closer to God. Hello, welcome back to the Potter's House uh, podcast, the Potter's House Salmon Arm podcast. Again, my name is David Bickford. I am the uh, pastor of the Potter's House uh, in Salmon Arm, and I thank you for joining me here again today. So today's message is going to be about habits, part three. So today we're, we're going to group a few, a couple of them together again, and it's going to be lust and greed, or what I like to consider the signatures of our time. So if you're if you have a Bible and you're going to follow along with me, the the text that I'm going to be using today is going to be from Colossians. It's chapter three verses 1 through 25 with a with a heavier focus on verses 5 through 11. So you can kind of put that in the back of your head and we'll get to that in a little bit. But first I want to take a look at an illustration I found. So there was a penny-pinching tyrant and this is what we'll look at, you know, first with with the idea of greed. So this penny-pinching tyrant, she owns a string of hotels, she owns an empire, she owns the Empire State Building, she is a billionaire. Yet in September 1989, Leona Mindy Rosenthal Helmsley was convicted of 33 counts of tax evasion, for which she faces the possibility of being sent to prison for a, for 100 years. According to the Time magazine, she emerged as a penny-pitching tyrant who tried to uh, stiff just about everybody that she knew. No amount of money was too small to fight over, and after her sudden death, uh, of her son, or after the sudden death of her son, at the age of 40 in 1982, she sued and won the lion's share of his estate, which was only $149,000, leaving his four children with $432 each and his widow with $2,171. Now, I don't know the background to this story, but even on its face, you could see how amazingly uh, greedy or penny-pinching this woman must have been to even go through the process of suing or trying to go through legal means just to keep what little money this, this was can when compared to her overall great worth. And so that's a, it's an interesting picture that greed is not, it is not based on amounts as much as on a hunger. Uh, and again, this is kind of what I talked about with sins of of excess a little bit, right? Where it was, you know, with gluttony and things of that nature, where it's just this overwhelming desire uh, for just getting more stuff or a desire for avarice. So avarice being very strong in this person's life. So here's another another you know, story. It's it's this one's titled "Consumed by Their Own Lust," and this is radio personality Paul Harvey. If you haven't heard of Paul Harvey, he was he was pretty pretty uh, important, you know, radio broadcaster. Even as I was growing up, he would say, and he would give these stories, and then he'd say, and that's the rest of the story. And so he was a very good storyteller. Lots of really good stuff from him. But in this in this uh, illustration here, Paul Harvey tells the story of how an Eskimo kills a wolf. 
The account is grisly, yet it offers us this fresh insight into the consuming, self-destructive nature of sin. First, the Eskimo coats his knife blade with animal blood and allows it to freeze. Then he adds another layer of blood and another until the blade is completely concealed by frozen blood. Next, the hunter fixes his knife to the ground with the blade up. When the wolf follows his sensitive nose to the source of the scent and discovers the bait, he licks it. Tasting the fresh frozen blood, he licks faster and more faster and faster, more and more vigorously. Lapping the blade until the keen edge is bare, but feverishly now, harder and harder, the wolf licks the blade in the Arctic night. So great becomes his craving for blood that the wolf does not notice the, sh- the razor-sharp sting of the naked blade on his own tug- tongue, nor does he recognize the instant at which his insatiable thirst is beginning to satis- be satisfied by his own warm blood. His carnivorous appetite just craves more, and until the dawn finds him dead in the snow. So here's a, a terrifying tale of about how our lusts can literally leave lead us into a position where we are we are willfully hurting ourselves we are willfully harming ourselves just for just to feed this this gap in our soul this gap in our heart with this desire you can see this you know illustrated very clearly with with people who get you know addicted to certain drugs where the lust for the high or the lust for these drugs becomes overwhelming to the point where they don't they they're they're either unwilling to admit or unknowingly harming their bodies to fulfill that need or that lust chris zillinger had this quote it says it is a fearful thing that people can be consumed by their own lusts only god's grace keeps us from the wolf's fate that's a critical part of our understanding is that, you know, mankind it, being wicked from the beginning, like from since the fall, and it's only through God's grace that keeps us from succumbing to a fate like that wolves. So in our text, Colossians 3, 1 through 5, let's read. This is, this is about putting on the new self in Jesus Christ. So in verse one, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things that are on earth. For you have died for your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is who is your appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on a new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and end all. Put on then God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. 
and the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, these put put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your own heart, your own hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and Father through him. Now here's some rules for a Christian household. We pick up again at 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Father, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything. Those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service or people pleasing, but in sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance and reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for wrongdoing he has done. And there is no partiality. Now, I know that might be a bit overwhelming, that scripture, because it's a big, it's a big chunk. It's a whole chapter. But the reality is, as we focus on verses 5 through 11, again, that's to put on death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, we know that he's, we're being called to do these things, but we're not being called to do these things under our own power, but rather through Christ Jesus. And then I left in the rules for a Christian house because it talks about you know, wives submitting to husbands, which is very, very hard for our generation to understand. But really, also, it calls husbands to love your wives and do not be harsh with them. There's a portion of this, too, where it basically is talking about what love is, is to be self-sacrificing. So when the Bible talks about love, the ultimate love is what the love of Jesus Christ did for us. In other parts, it talks about how that is what a husband is supposed to do, is to be willful or willing to, to lay down their life, even unto death, in service to their wife, to their children. And so that's that's the call for husbands. So let's look at the battle against our nature then, and let's define lust. Lust is the strong craving of sexual desire, typically, is the way we look at it, right? It also can mean hunger from anything, like a lust for power. While lust isn't a dirty word, it is a strong word. You don't have to lust for something you don't really care about. Lust is a strong, powerful desire, whether it's a noun or a verb. You lust for things that you deeply deeply crave. Someone greedy lusts for money. Someone gluttonous lusts for food. The most basic meaning of lust then is an unquenchable desire for sex, but people lust for all sorts of things, as I've mentioned. So some synonyms for lust would be Lecherousness or craving, hunger, thirst, animalism, which I really like that one, animalism, because the world today wants to tell you you're nothing more than an animal. And I contend in Christ that we are far more than just a simple animal. And lastly, another one is carnality. And we use that quite a bit in in the Christian world because to give in to your animalistic thoughts is to live a carnal life. And we are called not to live carnally, but to live unto the Lord. So then some antonyms or some op- opposing words to this, again, 
I find this pretty interesting, but the words are apathy, dislike, hatred, or chastity. Now, the interesting thing here is that apathy being what I've kind of categorized is not a sin of excess, but a sin of lack, like slothfulness. So apathy can be just as dangerous in a way, but chastity it can be righteous. So let's define then the next one with this is greed. Greed is the overwhelming urge to have more of something, usually more than you really need. Watching kids at a birthday party furiously grabbing for candy from a pinata, you might find yourself surprised by their greed. There's no way they're going to be able to eat that much candy, but they want that candy and they'll never be happy until they get more, more and more of the candy. Greedy is often connected with money and a desire to acquire as much of it as possible, but can it, it can refer to that kind of urge towards anything as well, like food or material possessions. When you see greed, it can be an, a very ugly thing. You're observing a greedy person or the greed of a huge company that treats its workers badly in order to make money. Greed comes from the old English word gredig or voracious, which means always hungry for more, more. So again, you see again a similarity here to, to gluttony. Whereas gluttony is more specifically looking at you know, food alone, greed can be anything. And then it's so closely tied to the idea of lust because you can lust after money, but then greed makes it so that you're never happy with the amount of money that you have. And so you become greedy in all things. Some synonyms are avarice, excess, gluttony, uh, oddly enough, and then selfishness. Because again, greed is only about your belongings, what you have, what you control, your power. And then some anonyms or opposing words are benevolence, generosity, and apathy. So the first two of those, benevolence and generosity, show a great kindness, a leader who is benevolent, who does things not for himself, but for the benefit of his people, is considered a benevolent king. We serve the highest of benevolent kings. We serve our Lord Jesus and our Father in heaven. And you know, before anybody gets too far off the the, uh, the road, you know, praying for a politician to save the day for us. Just remember that the actual kingdom that we belong to is a kingdom. It ha we have a king in our Lord, and he is a benevolent king for sure. But that's one of the things I always like to talk to people about is, you know, what's the best form of government? Well, obviously on earth, kingship is not the best form of government because all men are wicked. And we know that because when we look at when the, the children of Israel were clamoring for a king, they were punished by being given the, a king, right? When King Saul was chosen, there was a warning attached to the, the anointing of that king in First and Second Samuel. But before I get too off in the weeds, as I was saying, the best king, the best government is a benevolent kingship in heaven because our father is just but on earth obviously i would i would aspire to say that a a uh, a democratic republic is the best form of government not pure democracy but rather a representative you know a representative government a republic so let's look then next then at the biblical wisdom against gluttony as we, we saw in our text in Colossians 3, 1, chastity or self-control can, can help us to cure lust by controlling passion and leveraging energies for the good of others. Charity cures greed by putting the desire to help others 
above storing up treasures for ourselves. As we looked into that piece of text in, in Colossians 3, 12 through 17, it says, put on then God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you, in which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Be thankful. Let the world of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do, do in Word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. These temptations of sin that we fight are not from God. In 1 John 2.16, it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. This is an important thing to understand and encapsulate into your head, is the idea that what we fight through is not from God, but it's from this fallen world. It's from the sin that entered into this world. And that's why we are called to put on our new self in Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4. If you have been raised in Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on these things that are above and not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is yours appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And that brings me to my final point this morning, which is how do we win the battle? What is winning the battle? In Matthew 5, 27 through 30, it says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And it is better, and it is, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Now, if we take these words that are from Jesus to heart, then we know that we are responsible for not only our, our actions, but our thought life. This is a critical thing that a lot of Christians have a hard time with. And I've even heard, you know, some Jewish leaders like Dennis Prager recently talk about how uh, if it's just in your thoughts, then you can't be judged by it from a godly perspective. And that's, as we can clearly see from Jesus's words, where there's a big distinction between the old worldview and, and the Christian worldview or the today's worldview and the Christian worldview. In the Christian worldview, you are very much judged for what you allow to happen in between your head, you know, in between your ears here. You got your ears. So in between here, what you allow to sit in here to grow, what you allow to, you know, if let's say you're going to jump into, you know, Facebook's metaverse or some virtual reality thing, what you what you do in that space, you will be judged for. So if you're doing ungodly, horrible things within your within your mind's eye, and you're not taking those those uh, thoughts into captivity, th there there is judgment for that, and that's why we're told by Jesus Himself that that it's like adultery. 
if you sit and ponder about it, it's just as bad as doing it from a, a biblical sense. This means that we need to take accountability for every thought and judge it. The way that we can overcome greed is through charity. And, bring, and we have to bring that charity before the Lord. The way that we overcome lust is with chastity, is to bring it into the Lord. So therefore, what do I mean by that? Well, it's it's pretty simple. If you have an issue of being greedy, go do some more charity work, right? Go do something that's going to take your mind off your take your mind and your actions off of you and do it in service to somebody else altruistically. Now, you might not be doing it altruistically in the beginning because you, you're a greedy person. You have an issue here, and you have to break through that and put it under the blood of Jesus Christ. Similarly, if you have issues with lust, you need to you need to abstain or get away from situations that are going to cause that to be, you know, to cause that to grow within your own spirit. And you need to put that on the blood in prayer. Use the spoken word to come against your unspoken word. So as you as you are struggling in these situations, these areas, make sure that you're praying against these things and that you're reading your word and putting it under the, the authority of Christ and not under your own authority. And again, I say that prayer is the tool that speaks to faith and confers with the creator. So this is where you really need to spend time. Reading the word of God will instill godly wisdom and tear away at the ungodly beliefs that we fight against. The word is pure and clear, but we can also pray to God to open our eyes for the truth of the word so that it can be written upon our hearts. The church allows us to live together and strengthen each other, building godly relationships and provide accountability and responsibility in our lives. This is why you, you're, you know, we're told not to forsake the gathering of the brethren. In Hebrews 10, 25, it says, not neglecting to meet with others, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Personal contract with other Christians is not merely a suggestion of the Bible. It is a command. A practical reason for us was given in the prior verse. Relationships with other believers are, the, are one way to be encouraged to live a life of faith that we proclaim. We are called to hold fast through our own spiritual maturity. Grow in faith, however, is greatly influenced by having Christian examples around us. And that is why the Great Commission was for the church to make disciples, not merely to talk about Jesus, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Verse 24 commanded Christians to look for opportunities to inspire others to love and do good works. And then lastly, so lastly, we have Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, putting on that whole armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly places, therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as the shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace, and in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance 
making supplication for the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and that I may declare it boldly and ought to speak. So that brings me to the close. And if I could just, you know, if you're not driving, have every head bowed, every eye closed, no matter where you are, because this at this moment is the invitation. At the end of every message, there's an opportunity. And this is something that I hold you know, truly dear to in my life is the fact that every message needs to come with the opportunity for those that aren't saved. What does that mean? If this message is spoken to you, if you battle with these things, have you ever taken the opportunity to give your life to Christ and try it his way? Is your way working? Is your way working? And I contend that even if you think it is, it probably isn't working as well as you thought. I contend that every everyone needs to turn to Jesus Christ, but not all will have ears to hear it. But if this message did resonate with you, then I, I give you this, that you can too be saved. And it's very simple on how to do that. You just have to repeat. It's not, it's not an incantation. It's, it's a revelation. You have to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. You have to turn from your sins. That's what Jesus always did whenever he was talking to somebody like the woman at the well. He said, you know, I'm, I am the son of God, right? There's a revelation of who he is. And then there's a turning of your sins or repentance. So if you need it in like a prayer form, it's pretty simple. It's just simply, Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm not perfect. I'm not my sinner. I turn from my sin or I repent. I turn from my sin or I repent. And then I accept you, Lord Jesus, to be my Lord and Savior, my, my God. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. And I thank you for the gift of salvation through grace. In Jesus' name, amen. That simple prayer takes you from living a life of sin and enters your name into the book of life and gets you free admittance into heaven and eternity. But more than that, it will change your heart if you learn to you know, pray, read your Bible, find a Bible preaching church. And by all means, if you're in Salmon Arm, come and, and visit with us. Because Jesus Christ is changing lives. He hasn't stopped changing lives. A lot of people might have stopped listening in certain parts of the world, but that doesn't mean that he isn't still speaking to people. So I thank you for taking the time to listen to me this morning or this evening, whatever time it is for you. And I, I really pray this message resonates with you and I pray that you'll come back again. And I just, you know, quickly, I want to give like a, a little prayer to, for your day. Dear Lord God, I just pray that you'd help this message to go forth into the world to change people's lives so that they can too be freed from greed, from lust, from any of these sins of lack or sins of want. I give you all the praise and glory, and I pray that you'd help them have a beautiful day, beautiful week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the PHSA Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Potter's House underscore Salmon Arm to keep up to date on what we are doing, join the conversation, and discover how Jesus Christ can revolutionize your life.